I thought uh, first Sunday of the new year I'd, I'd wear the, uh, the colourful jacket. Uh, is that all right? There's another reason why I wear this jacket quite a lot. Uh, I like jackets, but the real reason is having lost a lot of weight over the last 18 months, it doesn't look ridiculous anymore. The rest are all sort of out there somewhere. So there you go. Happy New Year. Good, isn't it? We, uh, after Christmas, we, we took Betty's mother back down to South End on the snowy day, driving. That was interesting. Took about an hour longer than usual. wasn't too bad. And then uh, the next day, we, we drove to Clacton to see my parents. And we stayed with them till late afternoon and then drove across, across to Gloucestershire to a friend's in Gloucestershire. We stayed there to bring in New Year and uh, enjoyed worshipping a week ago in Wooten Under Edge Baptist Church, where I knew two of the six songs that they sang and didn't know the other four at all, which is very unusual these days. And then the day after, the, oh, uh, New Year's Day, we were at Slimbridge. Saw, how many, how many birds did you see, Betty? 14? Betty saw 43 different varieties of wild bird. I only saw 41. Uh, make of that what you will. And um, th- uh, then January the 2nd, we drove home again. And the heating wasn't working. I turned the thermostat down and the water off, and it didn't like it. But it's working again now. That's good. I also, since, since New Year, I've also erected a shed, uh, hence the scars. And uh, long time since I've done anything like that. Please don't look at it very closely if you come to see us at all, because although it is perfectly sound, it isn't quite right. Okay. Anything else happening this week? Something else happened this week? I don't know. Oh, Daniel scored a hat-trick at football yesterday morning, and I wasn't there to see it, which is great sadness. Oh, yes, and of course, we were at St. James's Park yesterday for the FA Cup match to watch Newcastle score three goals. Astonishing. Um, And it was a bit of a nostalgia thing for me, because as a teenager, I lived in Luton, and Newcastle were playing Luton, and used to go and watch Luton play. So it was a kind of, ah. So that's what we've been up to since, uh, since we were here two weeks ago. Wow. And then Andy phoned and said, would I mind preaching this morning? And uh, the answer to that is uh, always I'll preach. If somebody asks me to, if I'm free, I'll preach because I love sharing God's word. And I thought, so, so what do you say to people on the first Sunday of a new year? Even though it seems a long time since New Year's Day because Sunday is so far removed from New Year's Day this year. What do you say to people? And I thought about, you know, the being heavy on on discipleship and commitment and renewal and all that kind of stuff. And God brought me to Psalm 96. And I want to read Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Interesting psalm. Uh, We know it's one of the earliest psalms used in uh, tabernacle worship in the time of David when the, the, the old tent thing of David's tabernacle was built and David kind of established a worship pattern. We know from uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 that David appointed Asaph and others to lead worship for his tabernacle and this particular psalm is one used because we have word for word a huge chunk of it in uh, 1 Chronicles 16. So it's a very early use of Davidic worship which is of course where the psalms come from and originate from. It's fascinating. Have you got a new song this morning? Now, if anything's designed to put a hand grenade amongst the congregation, it's to bring up the issue of new songs. Don't you think? Yeah? Huh. I have a theory. I may have shared this before, but it's worth repeating. My theory is simply this. The songs we love and treasure are the songs we associate with particular moments of spiritual dynamism and experience in our lives. And nothing's quite like that again. Years ago, I was at a minister's retreat with a whole bunch of people about my age and a little bit younger, and the musician who was going to come to lead worship was sick and couldn't turn up. So we decided just to sing spontaneously, and every song for two and a half days, without exception, was written in the early 1980s, (laughs) because those are the songs that people knew that were deep-rooted in them. So why sing a new song? And the answer is simply this. The old songs are great. And and the the ones that stand the test of time, hallelujah. And in the new songs, there'll be some that stand the test of time and some that thankfully will be buried in the deepest sea along with all the other stuff in previous generations that wasn't very good either. But my theory is simply this. Whenever there's a move of God's spirit, people start writing songs. They really do. There's a kind of burst of music comes from people. And they're usually simple songs and easy to sing because they're, they're quite spontaneous and people join in and it's wonderful. And then musicians get hold of them. And for a while, they get better. For a while, they get better, and you think, oh, this is wonderful. And then musicians think, this is fantastic. And the musicians start writing songs which are written for musicians to enjoy musically, and they become more and more difficult to sing, some of them. Until there's a fresh move of God's spirit, and music suddenly becomes much more a spontaneous thing, just from the the grassroots of people again. And the whole process goes over and over again. Why does it happen It happens because when God moves by his spirit, something happens within each of us which has to find expression. And whether you're musical or not is not the issue this morning. What I'm asking is, have you an experience of God which causes you to have a new song in your heart? I don't mean, can you sing it? I just mean, is there something within you that God does that you want to give expression to, because that's what the psalmist is talking about. And I, I believe as we start 2018, what God is looking for is people who have such an experience of him that that bubble inside them of his grace and his love and his joy can't in the end be kept down anymore, and it keeps gurgling and gurgling and gurgling until the surf to the surface, until suddenly we're saying, praise the Lord! Okay, right.
Do your work, Lord. Do your work. Right. Three things about this psalm which can be rooted, if you like, in, in, in this new song. What should our new song be about? I, uh, besides being a, a sport lover, with the exception of horse racing and motor racing, I, most other sports I have a significant in, interest in. I love my football, I love my cricket and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the other thing I, I do, uh, I, I like to paint, but I, I write poetry, I write songs. Some of them have even been sung in churches. Most of them have died a death, along with all the other ones that died a death, but you know. Why do I do that? Because it gives expression to something deep within me. But giving expression to something is no good unless the something you're giving expression to is worth sharing. A song can be musically beautiful, but if its content is vacuous, it has no point. What is it that our new song has to be about? Well, first of all, we need to declare the glory of God. That's what this psalm is saying. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise his name. Declare his glory among the nations. We need to declare the glory of God. Day after day after day after day, as creation itself does, the psalmist says, it declares the glory of God. Even, even in January, as we were at Slimbridge on January the 1st, looking at all the wild birds. Have you ever been to Slimbridge to see the, uh, the swan feeding? Well, the wild bird feeding, really, but the swans come. The, uh, not just the, the, the mute swans, but the um, Buick swans. Thank you. I was about to say Hooper. Bu- One year we were there, we even saw trumpeter swans. Wild ones. You know. And you look and you, you, you see, and, and, and if you lift your eyes rather than look down at the mud all the time, you see something glorious. Creation, day after day after day after day, declares the glory of God. And we are called to join in the song. We are to speak and sing of his salvation. As has already been expressed uh, by Lucy standing here. The grace of God in it, the fact that he loves us, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. That as he hung and bled and died, he took our sins on himself and bore the penalty of that sin in his own body. That anyone who puts their trust in him would be utterly forgiven and utterly accepted and belong. It's grace, it's salvation, it's fantastic. This should be our song. Okay. We need to speak of his marvelous deeds. So so what's he done? Other than this, okay, Jesus died for me. Tell you what, one of the problems of people being Christians for a long time is they get incredibly, oh yeah, yeah, about the most amazing, amazing truth imaginable. Other than the fact that Jesus died for you, what's he done for you? Well, let me give you a little reminder. Firstly, God loves you. I have this kind of conversation with people occasionally. My mother-in-law was one of them. Um, we haven't had the conversation just recently because she, she always used to say Christians should always be joyful but they're not meant to always be happy. <laughs> I know what she's trying to say and to some extent I agree with it because they say happiness depends on what happens and joy depends on something deeper. Well, okay, I want to give you a reason to be happy. What's happened? God has loved you. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you. These are things that have happened, all right? 
He still loves you now. That's happening now. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, as many of you I know have done, you are utterly forgiven and utterly accepted by God. Nothing in all creation from that moment on will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus Christ and the Bible says he sends his Holy Spirit to live within you so that God walks with you through every experience of life. He gives you the strength to face everything. He never turns his back on you, never turns away from you. He is always there. And when you breathe your last, he promises that he'll be there at that moment. That he will provide dying grace as well as living grace. Besides giving you a purpose for living, he gives you a purpose for dying. He promises that you will be with him through all eternity. That nothing can change that. And one thing I can guarantee about heaven is you will not be disappointed. Okay? Now these are all things that happen. Are you happy yet? The problem is this. The problem is not, not that Christians shouldn't be happy. The problem is that we don't have our focus in the right place. We have our focus on the fact that our health may not be good. I'm pretty healthy, actually. It's good. For a, for a 65-year-old, I'm not on any medication. It's just great. But you should see my varicose veins. You probably will, actually, because, you know, during the summer I'm meant to have shorts on so that, yeah, yeah you don't want to know, you know. It depends where you put your focus. Now, I'm being trivial about that, but some people have incredible things they have to face in personal health. Some people have incredible pressures they have to face in their concern for loved ones and, and family. Some people face the most awful circumstances. Uh, nothing takes away from the fact that those things are awful, but we always have the choice as to where we put our focus. Because, yes, these terrible things happen and have happened, but all those good things about the grace of God have happened and happen. So where do we choose to look? We need to declare the glory of God. We need to explain over and over again, he is great, he is glorious, he is wonderful, he's my God. He's my father. Second thing is we need to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It's all sort of Old Testament language, I know. But basically, I think this really means we, all, we need to be telling him how much we appreciate him. Now, here is an education process for churches. 36 years of ministry, I've, I've had to learn this over and over again. Churches are very good on the whole at giving God thanks and not very good at praising him. And you're going to ask what the difference is. Well, when you thank God, you thank him for something in particular. Thank you, God, that you love me. Thank you, God, that uh, you've helped me in this circumstance. Thank you, God. Praise is simply, God, you're fantastic. Never mind what you've done. You're just fantastic. You're glorious. You're holy. You're perfect. You're creator. You deserve everything that the, the human body can give you in terms of response just because of who you are. That's praise. We're not very good at that. Other, some Christians in other countries are better at it because they have a more exuberant uh, culture from which they come. The British are not that exuberant on the whole. Yeah, just proving my point. Um, <laughs> and in case you think I'm having a go, trust me, very few people are less exuberant than me by nature. Ask Betty if you don't believe me. She'll tell you the truth, you know. Um, but there comes 
something in life which is far more important than our cultural background and our desire to stay in control and to stay okay. And that something is God. In all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his splendor. We need to tell him that he is glorious. We need to tell one another that he is glorious. We need to shout it. We need to sing it. We need to declare it, the glory of God. He can do all things. Nothing is outside his power. And you know what that means? It means we need to turn up to worship. When I left my, my last church, I, one of the last things I said to them, the farewell thing was, listen, when I'm an old man, yeah, I know some of you think I'm already, but... <laughs> Trust me, when you've got parents who are still alive at 95, you don't consider yourself old yet, all right? When I'm an old man, I talk, said, and you hear that Stuart Woodward has decided it's a bit too cold to go out on a Sunday evening. I've told them they have permission to come up, or if they can't come up, to phone me and say, get out of that house and get to worship. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when you have to give in. My parents are 95. They don't get out now. They don't get out to worship now. But they've battled, battled hard all the way before that moment has come. Because they know, and I know, the most important place for the Christian to be is with God's people in worship. Because that is where perspective returns. That is where truth gets into focus. And the more Christians withdraw from that, and the more we remove ourselves from this context of the glory and the magnificence of God, the more we become closed in, the more we become separated off, and we become a little bit of a moaner. And we come up with that wonderful northeastern word, which is a joy to hear after all these years exiled in the south. That fantastic northeastern word, e. <laughs> yeah? We're called to come into his courts. Remember, this psalm was was used as a worship encounter with God through the, uh, the tabernacle, which later became manifest in the temple. The, the courts of God were, were called to come to bring our worship. This is a, a, a worship song. We, we come into the presence of God. God, you're magnificent. God, you're glorious. God, you're my God. God, you're our God. In you, we belong together. And here we bring our offering as we worship. I don't mean in the bag, so that's part of it. What we do with our money is actually part of discipleship. Uh, I think people say you can, you can always tell, you can always tell when, tell when discipleship is really taking root in someone. A, it affects their wallets, and B, it affects their right foot in the car. It's fascinating. We bring our offering, though. In the Old Testament, the, uh, uh, the altar for the burnt offering was at the... Uh, the entrance to the courtyard and, and that was where the burnt offering was made as a reminder that people could only come because of sacrifice. Uh, for us, it's different. For us, we have two sacrifices we bring because the, the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient for sin once and for all. We don't have to come in that kind of relationship anymore. It's all done for us in Jesus Christ. But the Bible speaks of two particular sacrifices. One is the sacrifice of praise. God, you're fantastic. I don't feel like saying that. I don't feel praiseworthy or, or praise like today. Too bad, do it. Because we're not told to praise God when we feel like it. We're told to praise God, it's a sacrifice. Praising God when you feel like it's a piece of cake. Praising God when you feel really rubbish, that's discipleship. That's what we're called to be and do. And of course, the other 
the other sacrifice we're asked to bring in Romans 12 is that we bring our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. This, this, is, this is your pleasing, your acceptable act of worship. Bring ourselves, Lord, here I am. What will you do with me? You know? Uh, for Lucy, as she seeks to follow God, it's, it's this, didn't say what the name of the island was, but it sounds lovely, doesn't it? Yeah. As long as it's not where death and paradise is set, you're all right. Um, sorry, I did, just like the, like the program because it's sunny on a January night. Anyway, for some people it means being called to exotic places, but not necessarily to exotic work. For some, like me, it was called to Baptist ministry and now called to seek God for retirement. What does God have for me? For a couple in one of the churches that I was the minister of, it meant that they sold up and they moved house to live beside her sister while she looked after her seriously brain-damaged adult child because she couldn't manage by herself. And so this couple did that because they sensed they were new Christians in their 60s. And they really sensed this was God's calling on their life. Uh, part of worship is that we bring ourselves. Lord, what would you do with me? How would I, am I meant to respond to this glorious grace you've given to me? That's why Jesus said if you want to follow him, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow. The third thing is this, um, how are we doing? Oh, okay. Third thing is this, we, we need to worship in the splendor of his holiness. We used to sing the hymn, didn't we? Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim. You're looking totally blank at me. Does anybody remember this hymn? Oh, good, thank you. Okay. One of the difficulties of living in contemporary Britain is we live in a culture which is cynical. And therefore, if anything is held up as wonderful and glorious and beautiful, uh, we have a, a media which immediately seeks to destroy it and to tarnish it. And of course, the fault is in both cases. In earthly terms, nothing is that perfect. And nothing is that bad either, that the truth is somewhere in between. But, but in heavenly terms, God is holy. God is perfect. God is without flaw. There is no shadow, no shadow of turning, the old hymn writer says. Uh, that's why in Old Testament terms, people are called to tremble before him. You're coming to the, the creator of the universe, the judge of the living and the dead, the one in whom all things hold together. Now, we, we know in our calling, because of what Jesus has done, we, we don't come and crave and fear. That's gone because Jesus has taken sin. But if we come with less than awe at who it is we're coming to in all his beauty and perfection, then we're being very foolish. Does God ever take your breath away? When you're singing the, the songs, the, uh, the hymns, do you ever suddenly go, oh, do you? You need to. 
just singing and declaring about the most amazing, amazing being, far beyond our capacity to understand. We need to allow God to grow in us what he has clothed us in. Because according to the scriptures, we are called to be holy as he is holy. Now, you and I aren't going to make that, are we? Realistically. You know, I'm not going to get through the rest of this week without a single wrong thought or careless word. Or, it's not going to happen. Though that doesn't justify me for not trying. But what the Bible says is that when we put our trust in Jesus, we get clothed in the righteousness or holiness of him. So we're acceptable because only that which is holy can come into the presence of God. But what God expects of us is that we seek to work out what he has worked in. We seek to live in the context of what he has clothed us with. So we seek to cooperate with him on this journey of growing into a greater level of Christ-likeness. And part of that cooperation is to recognize that the call of the Christian is to be separate. The word holy means separate. You cannot live as a Christian life and not in some way be separate because that's what we're called to be, different. Uh, years ago, Ago, there was a denomination in Essex, which is now called the Union of Evangelical Churches, which, when it first started, had the wonderful title of the Peculiar People. Uh, of course, the word peculiar has changed over the years. You know, now it just means a bit odd. Peculiar really means different and separate. And that's what we're called to be. And the problem is the world out there and the culture out there would seek to make us conform to the cultural norms of the day on moral issues and all sorts of issues. And, and the church can't do that. At least if it does, it suddenly loses its credibility and loses, loses, yeah, loses its contact with, with the will and purpose of God. We're called to stand firm, to be clear. And that puts us in nobody's camp. Uh, some people say, oh, you're right-wing in your morality. Really? Does that mean we don't care for the poor? We don't reach out to those who have nothing? Absolutely not. Oh, you're left-wing because you care for people. Really? Does that mean we have to therefore also go with the left-wing issues on personal morality? I'm using traditional terminology here, which has long since been blurred. The answer is no. We seek to be God's people, living by God's word, in the context of his grace, showing love and grace to those who would disagree with us, and seeking always to point people to a God of holiness and purity who knows what is best for us. And cultures come and cultures go, and every one of them thinks it's got the new answer, that they are the supreme understanding of what is truth. And in all the arrogance that they strut around in, God eventually flicks them away and allows something else to come forward. In the midst of that, the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a prophetic voice for truth, for holiness, and for purity. So what sort of song are you going to sing this, this year? What's this bubble of joy going to do as it erupts? Probably not a good 
illustration, actually, as it emerges from your life, uh, how is it going to find expression in how you live? Maybe you'll write a song. Maybe you'll do what I do and sing annoyingly around the house and all that sort of stuff. How's it going to find expression? All I'm asking is that for us who claim to love Jesus Christ, will you let it find expression? Will you allow the joy that God plants in our hearts by his spirit to come through the whole of our being and be returned to him in a song and a life of praise because he deserves it. Our God is glorious. What a saviour. He's worthy of all praise, so let's praise him. And he's holy, so let's worship him. We need to seek together, recognizing our constant frailty. We need to seek together moral purity. We need to seek together to be gracious and loving to one another. We need to seek together to hold to biblical rather than cultural values. And we need to seek together to continue caring for the oppressed and the poor and most of all for those who have not yet understood the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Our God reigns. Our God really does. Nothing's going to change that. And there'll come a day where everybody who's ever lived will have to come before him and give account. His ways don't change. He doesn't change. What he's looking for is a people who will line up with him and allow his grace to transform us into people of grace. Isn't that exciting? I think it's fantastic. So, how's your song doing? Maybe, just looking at Andy, maybe you could have a songwriting competition. Uh, competition is a bad word. Maybe you could have a, a songwriting... Uh, 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 whatever. Free for all. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Okay. <laughs> I think it would. But remember this. As a new year begins to emerge, God hasn't changed. He deserves all the praise and all the worship. And what he's looking for in us is that we are people who declare that. What a privilege. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of another year, for sparing us to serve you, for giving us uh, your spirit in our hearts. Would you allow us, Lord, this year to cooperate with your Holy Spirit that our lives may be lived more and more to your praise. And Lord, let the song come out in all sorts of different ways. You are holy. You are glorious. Let us cooperate and uh, share with the whole of creation as we declare your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.